Amen. Well, we're studying the life of Elijah. Open with me to chapter 18. We're starting to get to the good stuff now. You know, it's, it's all good, but we're getting to the part where he's going to be calling down fire from heaven. I don't know how far we'll get into that tonight, but I want you, <clears throat> if you would, turn in your Bibles to 1 Kings chapter 18. 1 Kings 18. And let's just read verse 21 for right now. Elijah came unto all the people and said, How long halt ye between two opinions? This is really what we spent our time on last week. If the Lord be God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. And the pe people answered him not a word. And so just an amazing thing. The, the, whole, the whole scene to me is amazing. The, the nation has been backslidden about as far as you could backslide and killing the prophets of Jehovah and tearing down his altars and building altars to Baal. And it's the instituted religion of the land is Baal worship, even a temple to Baal. These are God's people. This is God's chosen people that he chose uh, to, to set his love upon and to use as a light to the Gentiles and through which the Messiah of the whole world would come, the Jewish people, and they're worshiping Baal. And so God uses this man, Elijah, and calls him to come and this is what he had prepared him for. Like I said, it's a lot like John the Baptist. John the Baptist had one job. He had one thing that he's known for, and that was to be the forerunner of Jesus Christ. He was that, that was it. That's all he's known for. He preached repentance. People came to him, and he says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, right? Make straight your paths and repent and turn from your sin. Prepare you the way of the Lord. With Elijah... Had uh, And John the Baptist, by the way, the Bible says, came in the spirit and power of Elijah. John the Baptist was like a throwback to these Old Testament prophets and to Elijah specifically. But Elijah has this one mission. He says it's not going to rain, king, until I give the word. Then God hides him out for three and a half years while it doesn't rain. They're hunting for him. But when God says, now go show yourself to Ahab and I will send rain upon the earth, he goes and confronts the man. There's no fear in him. At least there's no fear that we see um, because he knew that the Lord was with him. He knew he was in the Lord's will. And so he steps out and, and now he confronts Ahab and Ahab says, are you that troubler of Israel? Are you the reason all this drought and famine is coming upon our land? He says, no, it's not me. It's you and your wickedness and your sins. You've forsaken God and you've served Baal. You're the one who's troubled Israel. And so uh, he says, and then he just tells the king what to do. He says, gather all the people together and tell them to meet at Mount Carmel. And the king does it. Somehow or another, I don't know if he feared Elijah. He probably did. Or if he thought that the rain for the land depended upon this man somehow. But either way, God had it to where he did what Elijah said. It took some time, but the whole nation was gathered to the base of this mountain where Elijah was waiting upon them. And he makes seven, uh, he speaks seven times on that day, okay? We've, we're going to look at each of the things he said. And the first one is what we just read. He said to the people, 450 prophets of Baal, 400 prophets of the groves, which would have been false prophets as well. All the people, including the king, are there. And he says that, why do you halt between two opinions? We talked about it a lot last week, but... There's no reason, there's no point, it's vanity to halt between two opinions. Are you going to serve the Lord or you're not going to serve the Lord? If somebody's ignorant and doesn't know, 
then God can call them and they can be saved and serve God. But if somebody knows and has one foot in the church and one foot in the world, one foot in wanting to serve Christ and one foot saying, but I still want all this back here, it's not going to work. <clears throat> it does not work. That is not a biblical option that we're given. The calling of God, where my servants are, and where I am, there will my servants be also. We're going to be with the Lord. We're going to be walking with the Lord. Elijah was a servant of Jehovah, period. You don't question his allegiance or his loyalty. He would have lived for God and died for God, but he's going with God. Okay, that's what I always say. I came to a point in my life, I very much lived a compromising life for about five years, at the end of high school and into college. And God brought me to that place of decision. He put the fear of God in me, and I chose. Have I been perfect since that day? Far from it. You know, if you could ask those that are closest to me. But my commitment to the Lord has not been wavering. I haven't wondered if I'm going to serve the Lord or not. That part has been settled. And I think for each of it, it needs to be settled. It needs to be settled, and God will grow us, and God will strengthen us, and He will help us day to day. And when we fail and we repent and ask His forgiveness, He'll forgive us and strengthen us some more. But the decision to go with God can be made, and it can be made once and for all. Amen? Then we daily take up our cross and follow Him. I don't wonder tomorrow if the Lord tarries if I'm going to take up my cross and follow the Lord I am. And like Chris read from Romans 12, to daily present our bodies as living sacrifices unto the Lord. We do that. That's not a question. And so we live for God and we die for God, but we're going with God. That's the direction of my life. Amen. I preached a sermon many years ago about setting the sails, basically. In the older days, before they had, uh, you know, engines on boats, you would, you would, they would use rowing power or they would use sails, Right. And they set those sails, they would hoist them at a certain time when the winds kicked in, and they would angle them in a certain direction where it would catch the wind, and then they were off, right? The ship was off the way the, way the wind was carrying it. And I believe that it's important for us to set the sails of our life for the Lord, period. I'm going that way. God's Holy Ghost wind will blow, and he'll take us where he wants us to go according to his word and his will. So he asked them, why are you halting between two opinions? If Baal, the Lord's God, follow him. Sounds real simple, but that's, that's taught all through the Bible, right? That's not just Elijah and some Old Testament uh, thing that's going on. If the Lord is God, follow him. Makes sense, right? We don't want to follow someone that's not the Lord, and if he, we don't want to refuse to follow the one that is the Lord. We want to follow him. Amen? And so, and it bailed and followed him. And the people answered him not a word. And what we don't know exactly what was going on there, but I have to think that the whole nation's there, right? That when he says this, they hear him, but they don't answer a word. Maybe they were afraid of the king and the prophets of Baal to say anything. Maybe they were in shock, you know, that they were being confronted with this. Maybe they were under conviction of the Lord because they knew what their life had been. But either way, they didn't answer a word. And so um, there's a scripture in Romans 3 talking about the preaching of the law. It says that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before him. You know, there's that, there's that, that, that we preach in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, the truth. Okay, that's what we preach. We treat we preach the gospel, 
And we trust that God, by His Spirit, will bring about that conviction by the Holy Spirit, the conviction of sin and righteousness and of judgment. And in so doing, the point is that, that the mouths will be stopped, that, that they will be silent. They will be, they would be guilty before the Lord. Men have to realize their guilt. They're already guilty before the Lord, but they don't know they're guilty before the Lord for the most part. Somebody say, oh, I've done a few bad things, but I'm better than so-and-so. The real consciousness and awareness of, their, of our own personal sin is a must. We must see that we're sinners, that we are estranged from God, that we are enemies of God. We're not benign and neutral. We're actually enemies of the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. It was our sin that put him there. And we will remain enemies of Christ until we come to Christ and are reconciled by the blood of the cross through surrender to the Lord. But people have to know their own guilty standing before the Lord. We have to see it. We have to feel the weight of it. And I think in a lot of modern day evangelism and Christianity, that part is totally skipped over. You know, if somebody's lived a life of sin and God begins to deal with their heart, let's say they're in this church and they come to this altar and they're crying out for mercy, we would want to allow them, let that play out, so to speak. Let God deal with them. Maybe they're crying. Maybe they're repenting. Maybe they're, uh, don't just, well, get up and quit crying. I got good news for you. You're going to heaven. Give your life to Jesus. Let the Lord deal with them about their sin. He knows how to save them, you know. And we can bring them to, we certainly we will pray for them and tell them there is good news. But sometimes we skip over the bad news straight to the good. And people don't have any awareness of their own guilt before the Lord and the weight of it, the depth of our sin. We need to let, let the Lord deal with our hearts or, or someone that's lost and let God deal with them about their sin. And so um, they didn't answer a word. And, and so let's go on. The, the second time he spoke, it was a challenge. It was a challenge. And let's look at this. We'll read through verse 24. We just read verse 21. Pick up 22. Then Elijah's, then said Elijah unto the people, I, even I, only remain a prophet of the Lord. But Baal's prophets are 450 men. Let them, therefore, give us two bullocks and let them choose one bullock for themselves and cut it in pieces and lay it on wood and put no fire under and I will dress the other bullock and lay it on wood and put no fire under and call ye on the name of your gods and I will call on the name of the the Lord and the God that answereth by fire let him be God and all the people answered and said it is well so they did speak here this did make sense okay it, it was reasonable, you know. Come let us reason together, the Lord says. It does make sense. And of all things, Baal, one of the, one of the he was a god of many things, but of natural forces, and he was a god of the sun. And even the priest of Baal had this little emblem of the sun, like on their, uh, the things that they wore on their head. So he ought to be able to produce fire, right? If he's the god of the sun and of natural forces. And all the people said it as well. And they said, that makes sense. And so um, God had answered many times by fire, by the way, throughout the Bible, even by this time. We don't, don't forget that the Lord had led the Israelites by pillar of fire at night. Uh, he met with Moses at the burning bush. 
right? The Bible says in Hebrews that our God is a consuming fire. And uh, other times he had accept, uh, accepted sacrifices that were offered to him. And his acceptance was by fire. That he, would, he consumed the offering that was offered by faith to him on the altar. And he accepted it by fire. So the people said, it's well spoken what you've said. Now, this, this challenge was made with full assurance on, on Elijah's part that God was going to answer by fire and that Baal was not. There was no, he had no confusion about it, okay? Uh, he had no uncertainty about it. He, he knew he was in God's will, and he knew that he was in God's presence, and God was never going to push his servant or his man basically to the front lines and then leave him. Remember how David had uh, his, uh, he, David had, uh, who was he, Uriah, right? I'm sorry, y'all, I didn't have this right. <laughs> I'm sorry, Roy. Uh, David had Uriah sent to the front lines. He could fix it right there from his seat, y'all. We're high tech now. Uh, I knew something sounded funny. Y'all got to help me out up here. Uh, Uriah had, I mean, David had Uriah said, I want you to send him to the front lines of that most heated battle and then tell everybody to withdraw. That's, that's murder. You know, that's, that's, God is not like that. He was not going to send Elijah to the front lines against all the 850 prophets of Baal and a whole nation and a king that's godless and, and make this decree for the glory of God and then step back and retreat. He knew that Elijah knew there would be fire. Elijah knew there would be uh, a miracle by sunset. Let's put it that way. God was going to do what he, he, he led him to do. He had the plan, right? We've talked about in the weeks past. He heard the will of God. He heard the word of God. He knew he was in the plan of God. He wasn't just doing something presumptuously and saying, this is for God's glory. Yes, it has to be for God's glory, but like we talked about Sunday morning, it also, our deeds must be wrought in God. It must be by the power of the Lord. So we need to be in His will. We need to do it for His glory, but it actually has to be the Lord working, speaking, moving through us if it's going to be miraculous, if it's going to be what He wants it to be. And so uh, uh, He had no, no difficulty in believing for a miracle. I'll tell you this, that God will never, 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 fail. You can, you can, you know, write this down and believe it. I can write it down and believe it. God will never fail the man who trusts him completely. The man or the woman that trusts the Lord completely, he will never fail them. He may keep us waiting till the last moment. He may keep us waiting till way longer than we wanted to wait for some answer or some miracle or some healing or some deliverance, but he will never fail the one who trusts him completely. He's going to rend the heavens. He's going to step down on the cloud. He's going to work, and he's going to move, and he's going to deliver. That is our God that we serve. The main thing for you and I is be sure that you're in God's plan or in his will. Be sure of that. We've talked about that a lot in weeks past, too. I can't always say it for you, and you can't always say for me, am I in God's will? We can know uh, 90% of it, or, so, you know, we can know for a great deal if we're in the, within the confines of the Word of God and the teachings, the rightly divided Word of God. I'm in God's will. But as far as specifics for your life, marrying this person or taking this job or call to ministry or something, it has to be something, yes, it still fa falls with the parameters of Scripture. 
okay? But individually, you have to know from the Lord. And if you have people in your life that are close to the Lord, that are praying, they can, I would say, they could be used to con confirm that in your life. But you as a believer still have to know in your heart of hearts. So be sure that you're in the will of God. You're going to go witness to somebody. You're going to go, as I said, whatever it may be, be sure you're in the will of God. Well, God's word, we've passed the first test. He wants us to share the gospel with people. Right? We have the great commission that we're called to. And then once you know for sure, then step, step out in faith. Know and then go. You know what I mean? Know from the Lord and then step out in faith. Move forward, trusting that God is with you. God has your back, so to speak. Not only does he have our back, he's gone before us as well, preparing the way. And so uh, God is always going to take care of and never fail the one who trusts him completely. Know you've heard from the Lord and move in it. All right, verse 25. This is the third time he speaks. So uh, he's actually using a little sarcasm here. And it wasn't for just any, uh, you know, ridiculous reason. But let's read it in verse, well, I want to. All right, so they choose out the bullock, and, they, and then the people begin to cry out. Verse 26, they took the bullock, the, the priests of Baal did, which was given them, and they dressed it and called on the name of Baal from morning even until noon. So this would have been from 9 a.m. to noon, three hours. And this is what they're saying. Oh, Baal, hear us. But there was no voice nor any that answered and they leaped upon the altar which was made. And it came to pass at noon that Elijah mocked them and said, Cry aloud, for he is a God. Either he's talking or he's pursuing or he is in a journey or peradventure he sleepeth and must be awakened. And they cried aloud and cut themselves after their manner with knives and lancets till their blood gushed out upon them. And it came to pass when midday was past. And they prophesied until the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice, that's 3 p.m., so six hours they've been at it, that there was neither voice nor any to answer, nor any that regarded. Well, Elijah knew it was going to be this way. He, he, wasn't, he wasn't surprised, like, oh, good, this is how it turned out. He was very pleased, but he knew before time, beforehand, this is, this is how it's going to be. I don't think sarcasm is always a great thing, but the sarcasm here wasn't really to, to uh, vindicate himself in any way or to make himself look superior. It was to show the Hebrew people the foolishness of their position of Baal worship and the foolishness of their position of halting between two opinions between Jehovah and Baal. He's not answering by fire, because he's not a God. You know, I'll share this, this, what we're talking about now, the last two Wednesdays at Parkview at the Bible study with the boys, and I said, y'all, why didn't, why didn't Baal answer? Well, one of the kids, because he's not real. And I said, you're right, that's exactly right. That's why Baal didn't answer. You could call Baal whatever you wanted to call him. If it's not Jehovah, he's not real, he's not going to answer by fire because he's not a real God. He is, uh, there's doctrines of devils and seducing spirits, and there are false lying signs and wonders that are manifest as well. But Baal's not a real God. He's not going to answer by fire, especially when Almighty God has made this challenge 
that this is how it's going to be. And that will be proof. He gave it through Elijah that this will be the proof of who's the real God, the one who answers by fire. So Elijah does use sarcasm, but he wasn't just doing some uh, comedy routine or something like that. He was pointing out the foolishness of worshiping a God who can't answer. So maybe he's sleeping. Maybe you've got to go wake him up. You think you should cry louder? Maybe you can wake Baal up, you know. Uh, maybe he's on a journey. He's a God. He's busy doing something else. You got, and, and so they intensify it. You know, so they're crying aloud for three hours, going round and round, 850 people. It must have been some kind of spectacle and noisy. And they're crying, oh, Baal, hear us. And for three hours from 9 to 12 and from 12 to 3, they leap upon the altar and they're cutting themselves with knives and lancets. I looked up a lancet as like a, a javelin or a spear. They're cutting themselves. And, and you would say this is kind of a pagan ritualistic thing. We've probably seen in other types of pagan rituals. And they cut themselves till blood gushed out. And there was no voice that answered. And no one regarded. And so he does use sarcasm again. But, but again, it's just to point out. Their, their own foolishness and, and even thinking that Baal was a god. So here stands the altar of Baal, no smoke, no fire, still like it was when they prepared it six hours before, okay? The next time Elijah speaks, and, and I really love this, he, he offered an invitation. Let's read this in verse 30. So they failed. They did this till the time of the even, evening sacrifice. Verse 30. And Elijah said unto all the people, Come near unto me. And all the people came near unto him. And he repaired the altar of the Lord that was broken down. I think this is significant. We see it in the Bible, and we see it with um, when, when God is trying to restore something. Okay, when God is trying to bring back people to himself, a nation to himself, worship, maybe worship's gotten off into some things that aren't of the Lord, and he wants to bring it back to himself. He's got his man, he's got Elijah, and he, he prepares the altar of Jehovah. I think that's important. Remember that Jezebel had ordered all these altars destroyed, and they were destroyed, so he had to repair it. It shouldn't have needed repair, but it needed repair because of the backslidden condition of the people and the neglect but they had literally probably knocked it over what was the altar the altar was 12 stones he repaired the altar 12 stones representing the 12 tribes of Israel and he put them back like they go he put them back the way God wants it to be and and he had to take a little time maybe he had to go searching I don't know that the stones were cast all over the place or where they were but regardless he had to go Get the stones and repair the altar like God wanted it to be. And then he prepared the offering. And it was the time of the evening sacrifice. It was the time when the priest at 3 p.m. would offer. It's the time that Jesus gave up the ghost, right? When the Passover lamb was being slain, by the way. And so he's preparing the altar. And he's bringing in, in picture the, the tribes of Israel and the nation of Israel back together. Not only back together, but back together in worship of the Lord. He repairs the altar of Jehovah. It's not a little thing. It's, it's significant to know that God wants to, God has a way. And when things are done by faith and done his way, he's going to always bless it. 
when we, when we presume to do things our own way in the name of the Lord, He has no uh, responsibility to bless that. He should say, no, look over here. This is how I want this to be done. Cain, I'm not receiving your offering. There ha without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sins. I'm accepting Abel's offering. I'm not accepting your offering, Cain, <clears throat> but God was merciful. If you do what's right, Cain, won't you be accepted? And if not, it's because sin's overtaken you, and, and he had another chance. He could have come back with a blood sacrifice, right? He didn't. But you can't do whatever you want and say, this is for God. This is in the name of the Lord. I will call this worship when it may, it's not worship at all of the Lord uh, and so forth. And so he, he repairs the altar. He offers the sacrifice at the time of the evening sacrifice. But he issued this invitation. Let's keep reading. And so we read verse 30, verse 31 and 32. Elijah took 12 stones according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob unto whom the word of the Lord came, saying, Israel shall be thy name. And with the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord. And he made a trench about the altar, and a great, as great as would contain two measures of seed. So he had invited the people to come near. In verse 30, come near unto me. And again, you might think, well, what's, what's the big deal about that? I don't know that I know completely, but I do see something in that where you're saying, come, come and see, come and hear, come and taste and see that the Lord is good. Ye way are in the back, I want you to come close. I want you to see, I want you to see what's about to happen here. I want you to see there's no tricks up my sleeve. I'm not throwing some little uh, firecracker under there to start the fire as well. I want you to see this is the Lord. I think it's something similar, again, I don't know it, Fully, but like when Peter and John were walking to the temple and there was the lame man, he, he, he stuck out his palm, his hand expecting a gift to be given to him of money. But Peter said, no, I want you to look at us. Peter said, look at us. I'm not about to give you, uh, I'm not about to give you 50 cents, right, to buy a biscuit. That's what he, he probably didn't even look. He just stuck his hand out because they, they paused for a minute where the lame man was. So he sticks out his hand. And Peter says, I want you to look at us. I want you to look at us right here. We're about to do something. God's about to do something. He's, and he says, we don't have silver and gold. But he's got the man's attention. He's looking at him. He's got him in a, maybe an expectation or something where he's got his attention. I think that's important. And when we see Elijah saying, come, come here, come here. Six hours they've been waiting, watching these prophets jump around and cut themselves uh, a bail and no answer. And he, he repairs, he, they watch him repair the altar. And they're saying, oh, there's 12 stones there. We know what that means. C come see. Let's come back to the Lord. And, and so anyway, he invites them to come near. We see it. In the Bible, to, to draw near unto God, to draw nigh unto God, to taste and see that he's good. And so uh, he, he invites them to come. He repairs the altar. And then he gives a command. And let's read verses 33 through 35. And he put the wood in order and cut the bullock in pieces and laid him or the bullock on the wood and said, fill four barrels of water. So this is the command. 
I want you to fill four barrels of water and pour it on the burnt sacrifice and on the wood. Well, you don't do that if you're about to light something on fire. We've been on enough camping trips or built enough fires. We don't want to do that, okay? But he has no difficulty in believing. He's, this is not making it harder for God. You, you, think, you understand that? It, in the people's eyes, it would seem like a bigger miracle if fire would light that thing on fire, being drenched. But in the faith's eyes, it's, it's no hindrance. If God wanted to light it under the ocean, he could light it if he wanted to, okay? And so he says, fill four barrels of water, pour it on the sacrifice in the wood. And he said, do it a second time. And they did it the second time. And he said, do it the third time. And they did it the third time. That would have been uh, 12 barrels of water. It was pretty well drenched. The sacrifice, the wood, and the trench that he dug around it was filled with water. The water ran around about the altar and filled the trench with water also. And so... That was his command. Again, faith has no difficulty in, in believing for something like that. He's not wondering if it's going to happen. And it, did this just make it harder for God? What do we sometimes do? Y'all, sometimes we'll try to make it easier for God to help us. You know, we might set things, but if I help him in a certain way or do certain things in a certain way that we think God can't quite do this, but if I help him, maybe he can do this instead. He wants us to believe him. Amen. He wants us to believe him for everything that his word says today in our day. And he wants us to believe him for everything that he has put in our hearts and spirits as, as long as it's really his from the Lord. Amen. In accordance to his word. He wants us to believe him for that. And so, again, this, this uh, didn't make it any harder for God to do what he was about to do. That fire that was going to come down was going to be a serious fire. And it was going to consume it all. So he offers a prayer. And this is the last thing we'll probably uh, look at tonight. And let's read verses 36 and 37. And it came to pass at the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice that Elijah the prophet came near and said, So is he screaming and hollering and jumping up and down and cutting himself? He says, he, he comes near and came near and said, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and of Israel, let it be known this day that thou art God in Israel and that I am thy servant and that I have done all this, these things at thy word. Hear me, O Lord, hear me, that this people may know that thou art the Lord God and that thou hast turned their heart back again. It's a, it's a simple prayer. It's for the glory of God. Lord, this is all being done. Basically, he says at the end of verse 36, that, that I have done all these things at thy word. We can't just gloss over that. This does not work with the faith movement, movement where I would just claim what I want and say God has to do it. This has to do with walking in the will of God. I have done all these things at thy word, not my word. Everything, he didn't think this up. It wasn't Elijah's plan. It was his heart's desire for the people to turn back to the Lord, no doubt about it. And God put that in him, and God developed that relationship with him and gave him a love for, for himself. But the plan and everything and the timing and everything about it was the Lord. It was the Lord. 
And so let the people know that you're God and that I'm just your servant. But I can't say just your servant. It's wonderful to be a servant of the Lord. Amen? To be a servant of the Most High God, like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And to be recognized as such, I'm, I'm a servant of the Lord. That's who I am and what I am. My name's not important. His name is. You know what I'm saying? His, he's the one that uh, is to receive the glory. And I've done all these things at thy word. And let this people know, in verse 37, Hear me, O Lord, hear me, that this people may know that thou art the Lord and that thou hast turned their heart back again. So his prayer was all for God. It was all for his glory. It was all very uh, on one track and on one purpose, that you'd be glorified, and specifically that let them know that you're doing this to turn their hearts back to you. It's always the heart, right, that God's dealing with. So you could have another king that just sanctified, uh, sanctions, I should say, or outlaws the worship of Baal and and you know, writes a decree that you have to worship Jehovah. But it's more than that. It has to be a turning of the hearts, right? A turning of the, of the hearts to the Lord. And that's what God was desiring to do. And so uh, that's his prayer. And whenever we can, whenever we can really uh, kind of lose ourselves in our prayer for the glory of God to where it's, it's not about us and it's about the Lord and about his glory, you can be sure God's going to be right there. And I think that's a big part of it. I know I've shared it and I know you've heard it before, but I'm going to say it again that George Mueller, wonderful man of God that the Lord used so greatly in England with these children's orphanages and such, the supplies just to feed and sustain and clothe these children, thousands, Every single day, three meals a day, and uh, was the the needs were great, but his faith was great, and he never went on a fundraising drive or anything like that. He never begged for money. Everything was received from his prayer life. He would go to the Lord in prayer. Well, Mr. Mueller, we need you here. We need some food for that. He would close the door and pray. If the need's going to be met, oh, God, you have to do it. I can't do it. I don't assume to do it. I don't presume, presume to do it. He would, those needs were met in prayer, and he said that when he went to pray, he established, first of all, to come to the point personally where he had no will, other, no will of his own in prayer. So how long does that take? I don't know, in, in prayer, some days maybe more than others, but came to come to the point in prayer where we're before the Lord and we're shutting out all of our own will. And even in the Lord's prayer, not my will, but thy will be done, right? Jesus said in the garden and in the model prayer that Jesus gave his disciples, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. And so this is it. What is Elijah's prayer. There was nothing... Uh, of his own. It was all about losing himself basically in in the will and the plan of God and for the glory of God. And when we can come to a place like that where we don't have the personal interest and everything's, everything's for the Lord and for his, his glory, then we're going to see God move, I believe. I really do. I believe we're going to see the Lord move. It's not that we can't pray for things that concern our individual lives. He knows that we have those needs. But even those have to be for God's glory. 
You know what I'm saying? If a financial need is met, it's for the glory of God, whatever it may be. Uh, Jesus said this in John 14, 13. We're, we're about to close here in just a moment. But John 14, 13, Jesus said, Whatsoever ye ask, whatsoever ye shall ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Even Jesus was concerned with the Father's glory, okay? We ought to as well. Verse 38. Then fire fell on then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt sacrifice and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. Hallelujah. There it is. Amen. The fire fell. And you ask the question, could it have been any other way? It was going to be that way. It, the fire was going to come. This was all the Lord's doing. It's marvelous in our eyes. And... Uh, this isn't some kind of fairy tale. And I think sometimes we forget it. We look at a lot of, especially Old Testament things, and we think it's almost like a fairy tale. It's not. The fire came down, and faith can bring it down, so to speak. I know the Lord does it, but he responds to our faith and to our prayers in him. He's doing it. It's not our faith doing it, but uh, the Bible says in Hebrews 11, by faith the elders obtained a good report. Their faith did Get something from the Lord, if that makes sense. And anybody can exercise the same faith. He's not, he, again, I keep stressing this. Elijah was not a superhero created in some different order or fashion than we are. He was a man of like passions like as we are. And when we come before the Lord with that faith and we come before the Lord with that desire for him to receive the glory and we know we're in his will so all of our striving, y'all, we'll just close with that, but all of our striving has to be, we're not striving to be saved if we're already saved. We're not striving to make it to heaven. If we're saved, we're going to heaven and so forth. We're not striving to, we're striving to, to be in his will. We're striving to abide in Christ. We're striving because we feel those little moments where our hearts and minds and we stray from the Lord. We kind of wake up and say, uh-oh, how did I get over here, the last five hours I've been thinking about this and worrying about this. Or this half the day or half the week I've spent worrying. I still belong to the Lord. He hasn't abandoned me, but I need to come back. The same way I left, I need to come back. Kind of departed in unbelief, and I need to come back in faith. Amen? And I need to abide in Christ. Our responsibility is not to think up these dramatic plans for, for how, you know, how we're going to turn the nation back to God or whatever, our, our responsibility is to abide in Christ, to seek Him daily, to seek to, to, in our relationship to hear His voice so clearly that when He does speak, we're there. Yes, sir, I'm here, ready to roll. I'm ready to go. We're vessels of honor, sanctified, meet for the Master's use. We hear His voice. We're ready to move. We stay prayed up. We don't have to go cram. You ever cram for a test? Uh, I did that so much in college. It's not the way to do it, to cram for a test. Don't study all semester. Find a smart friend to get all their notes and try to learn it all the night before the test. It doesn't work too well that way. We need to stay in, in communion with the Lord all the time and in His Word and in church and in fellowship with other believers and, and walking in obedience to Christ. It's, just, it's real simple. It's not as hard a lot of times as we make it to be. 
but stay dialed in, so to speak, with the Lord. He's going to use one of you. He's going to use somebody that's walking humbly with him, but really walking with him and obedient to him and close to him. He's, that's who he's going to use. He's going to reach down there and grab someone, and you won't say, what is this, Lord? He's going to tell you, this is what I want to do in this hour. This is how I want to use you to be part of it. He might not show you the whole thing. He'll show you what you need to know, and you step out. And he's going to send the fire down because he promises to do it, and he does it in response to our faith and our faithfulness to him and walking with him. Amen? Chris, if you come up and just play. The, the altars are open, y'all. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to close this in prayer, but the altars are open. Afterwards, we've, we've got our, our birthday to sing. But right now, can we just come and meet with the Lord? Father, we come before you. In Jesus' name, oh God, I want to be like Elijah in so many ways, Lord, that you would give us the faith to believe you and not to doubt, that you would give us such a relationship with you that we're standing in your presence continually like Elijah, that when you say go or speak or do, we go and we speak and we do and we know exactly what you've called us to do. God, that we would clearly hear your voice, God, that we would walk in obedience to you, Lord Jesus, that you would use us in this hour for your glory, God, that we would walk humbly and obediently with our Lord and Savior. Thank you, God, that you're the same yesterday, today, forever. You can still send fire from heaven. You can still send the fire of the Holy Ghost upon our nation, God, and turn us to you, God. Father, I pray that you would use us for your glory in this hour, God. Strengthen our faith in you, God. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father.